Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. I'm awfully excited to have Guide Talk happening in hour one. I've got Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Justin Jepson, and Dr. Jim Bilby in studio. That's the power panel today. It's going to be a great one. And we got some big news coming up to share uh, in about 60 seconds when we get things started. We're very excited about something coming up uh, next month. As a matter of fact, it's going to be March 26th. There's the cliffhanger. I'm going to take 60 seconds and then we're going to get started. February is a short month. But regardless of the number of days in the month, Faith Radio provides hope and encouragement through gifted preachers who teach God's Word and compelling conversations from our Faith Radio show hosts who help make the connection between faith and life every day. This daily ministry is available because of listeners like you who value the teaching and talk programming and want to see the gospel go out on air and online and on the app. So join with us today by making a gift at MyFaithRadio.com. God's Word has the power to transform lives and impact communities with truth. The Dr. Tony Evans Study Bible combines lessons on kingdom living, inspirational articles, and Dr. Evans' own sermons and study notes with the CSB Bible Translation. Applying these truths will empower you to live a transformed life. We're giving away one copy of the Tony Evans Study Bible each week. Enter to win at MyFaithRadio.com. playing fake keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> How can you not play fake keyboards? Well, we're bobbing our head. Yeah, kind you of are. Awkward sort of I got way, percussion right? I can't dance at all, but yeah. I'm bobbing my head. You got the yeah. full air band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole air band in, yeah, in the Jim studio right now. Yeah, Jim is still playing the guitar right yeah. now. The music's over, over, Jim. Jim. Jim Stop. Over. Thank you. He's playing bass, too. <laughs> yeah, you know that? Doing, I totally noticed that. Oh, it's bass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Guy Talk. We're so glad to have uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Dr. Jim Bilby, Pastor Justin Jepson. Uh, the two Toms are off today. Tom, they Tom are? Brock, yeah, he's in Florida, and Tom Parrish is recovering from is little foot ang- surgery. Is it he the might ankle, foot or something. Yeah, yeah his foot. Yeah, he yeah, might yeah. come on in, our, in the second half of the hour. <clears throat> oh, great, maybe. Okay, all right. Uh, always, as always, we want to hear your questions. We want to know what it is you would like us to discuss. You've got some great minds here in studio, uh, and let us know eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Let's start with the announcement coming up March twenty sixth on a Thursday night. We're going to have a live event featuring Dr. Peter Kapsner and Dr. Jim Bilby. It's going to be called Life in a Post-Christian World. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jim and I have been talking about this concept for quite some time, actually, and just the idea that there is a fear happening and an understandable fear that Christians are increasingly finding themselves sort of on the outs of sort of the social structures or the social powers of society, whether that be the school whether that be the government, whether there's worry about uh, churches are going to lose their tax benefits, like sort of all of these ideas. And so I think we can safely say, and Jim, I'd be curious your thoughts on this too, that we are at the very least, if not on the cusp of a life in which Christians are no longer in social power, like we, I think, are actually in it. Before, and, and there's a fear associated with it that 
what does this mean for our faith if we're not any longer going to be influencing some of the main social institutions of the day? How do we begin to live our lives in the midst of that? But I think some of the invitations of that is this is not the first time when Christians have been on the outs in society. In fact, it's relatively unusual that Christians do have the social power. And some, Jim, what you and I will be talking about is that actually in those moments, there's an authentic Christianity that often is birthed in that, that is far more substantive and powerful than when it is blended with social institutions. Yeah, I get the fear associated with like losing our cultural prominence and we'll no longer be a Christian nation and things like that. Um, and it does present some difficulties. We won't be able to define the terms of the discussion. We won't be able to be in a place where we can assume that we can uh, leverage cultural influence. Um, but I actually think it opens up far more uh, opportunities and possibilities. And actually, the biggest thing that I'm excited about, if we are in a post-Christian world, which I sort of think we are, I, I, I'm sort of these people that think that Christendom is dead and we need yeah. to stop trying to revive it, right? Just right. Call, call it, you know, call the time of death. And it probably it wasn't just recently. It was probably a while ago. Um, but when we do that, I think the most thing that I'm most encouraged about is that it will make being a lukewarm Christian much, much more difficult. Yeah. And um, that's that's encouraging to me. That's great because, I mean, Scripture is actually pretty clear about lukewarm Christians and people are sort of able to just be cultural Christians, meaning they go to church occasionally and they get their religious fix and they, you know, whatever. Um, that's not really what Christianity is. And Scripture has some pretty harsh things to say about lukewarm Christians. And so to raise the stakes and to make it, in a sense, more difficult to be a Christian is to uh, demand that those who call themselves Christians really truly have buy-in uh, on that. And so this whole concept of being being in a post-Christian world, you know, and how you navigate that and what the implications are that for various discussions and issues of the day, I think is a really important one. And, mm -hmm. and it's one that I'm looking forward to digging into a little. Yeah, and it's certainly when you look at some of the cues of the early church uh, prior to when it did have social power in the Roman Empire, some of what you just described, raising the bar sort of idea, I'm fascinated by the idea that if you wanted to enter into a Christian community, uh, if you wanted to go through the waters of baptism and come out and have the confirmation of the Spirit and join the communion table, you were what was called a catechumen or an initiate, and it was two years that you were invited to sort of study and learn the things of the faith, grow in the things of the faith, before you ever actually said yes to following Jesus and joining the fellowship. You want to talk about raising the bar, but there's an understanding that if you wanted to be empowered and shine God's light in the world in the midst of a very secularized society, it was going to take some rigorous effort and, and some less divided lives that I think that we sort of naturally fall into when we kind of just mm, take things for granted in our world. Yeah, and then uh, after you became a catechumen, after you were baptized, then you would call your, then you're, you'd say, well, I'm a Christian, but then you'd get thrown to the lines. Yeah, so exactly. I just, exactly. I just taught Welcome through the journey in a class. I just taught through the martyrdom of Perpetua and, and Felicitas. It's one of the, one, uh, just a really great early Christian reading. And it's, it's about this young woman who bucks all the cultural trends of the Roman world and the Roman world the father says what goes, and, mm. and, and dad said, no, you're not going to be a Christian. She said, I must be a Christian. I have to be a Christian. And she ends up being martyred for her mm. faith. And, and, but that, uh, that witness was so powerful. But that was just her opinion of this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. And how many people have this notion of sacrificing even to death on a cross, right? Like 
we are called to be like G- Christ Jesus mm-hmm. in in uh, Philippians. How do people really have that notion anymore? Mm-hmm. And the deal is, we don't have to have that notion. It's comfortable, right? right. right. I mean, that our difficulties are, you know, oh my goodness, Sunday morning. That's it. So early, or you know, mm-hmm. how, <laughs> how how difficult really is that? And so I think it's it's important for us to again, like you said, realize that the vast majority of Christians throughout history have not been our place of cultural privilege. And you know what? That's not great that we are, perhaps. Yeah, one more piece of that. I was overseas and talking with a young Scottish pastor uh, in, in downtown Edinburgh, and he was saying, you know, we have been living in a secularized society here in the United Kingdom for quite some time. We're having to figure out how to do life in a post-Christian world already. He said, you in the States are already in that state too, but you're sort of clinging to politics as your last sort of vestiges of hope to exert social power. But the reality is, is that that's going to fail as well. And he said to prepare for life in a post-Christian world. Um, and he used like several out statements. He said, <clears throat> when you look back at the early church, they were able to outlove the world around them. They outprayed the world around them. They were able to outthink the world around them. So they could sort of deconstruct the baloney of the day, as it were, that was guiding people's thinking. But they also uh, died, the people around them. And, and in that place that you just referenced, in the martyrdom of their faith, that was what caused Christianity to explode. Their willingness to die for their faith. More people left the Roman Colosseums those days convinced that the faith was true because of the witness of the martyrs. Even if they came to see the blood of the martyrs, they left being converted because of the, yeah. the witness being born. Yeah, I will be hosting afternoons with me on Thursday night, March 26, with Peter and Jim. They'll be my guests. We're going to have a lively discussion, much like what you just heard. My question for you guys is, Will you be wearing tweed sport coats that have suede <laughs> elbow patches? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'll put away the pipe for the night, but I, I would say, right, I mean, the professor, look, that you're so good at that, Jim, with your centennial hoodie. Right, right now. yeah. <laughs> right. So I, it's, it's, I'm a little torn. So I get I, it. I, I have the, the, the tweed, you know, yeah. overcoat. What, what do you, you with, I don't even know what it's called. Yeah, yeah, I don't even, I don't know what it is either. Sport yeah. coat, I have that option, or I have my Metallica t-shirt. I yeah, my, it's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah go Metallica. I want to yeah, see that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, have to make. Okay. And so all you have to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com and start getting on the list of, uh, hey, I want to come to that event, and it's going to be great. There's going to be tons of opportunities for Q&A. So for sure. That's the best part of the lots night. Of, right? Lots of opportunities yeah. to mm-hmm. ask questions. And there's so many issues surrounding this um, post-Christian world. I don't know if I would agree with that Christian Jim is, is dead when you said that. It feels very alive to me, but, um, you know. Well, yeah. but if you define Christendom as sort of the difference between Christendom and Christ- Christianity, as Christendom oh, is when Christians Christ- are in social power. Of course. So, I'm yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but, that's but so like me. It's such an important point to make, though. Like, I think in our fear, Jim, right, God's kingdom is not at risk at all. Oh. God's kingdom remains and is sovereign, but the but the Christendom expression oh, of it, gotcha. where Christians have social power, I think that's a sign. That. Yeah, yeah. 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 Christendom, as in the earthly kingdom where we're in charge and we're pulling the levers of power. Christianity is unaffected God. by this. Okay, thanks God's for... all good. Do you want to come to the event, Bill? We'll I will definitely be things. there. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about sending my stunt double, but now, <laughs> after hearing this exchange, I'm actually quite excited about being there myself. Well, that's good. Yeah. And you could ask a question. That'd be yeah. great. Well, I, I don't know if I'll do that, but <laughs> I don't want to get that involved. Uh, <laughs> but it's going to be Thursday, March 26th. It's a live event. It's going to be a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to these events before, uh, you know they are fun. And you can bring your questions and uh, or you can send them even in advance. We'd love to hear from you, and we're going to make this a great night. So it's living in a, a post-Christian world, how to do it, how to do it best, and how to be uh, salt and light in a world that's uh, got a lot of suffering, a lot of pain around us.
Let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Let us know what other questions you have for Guide Talk today. 877-933-2484. Be right back. the show. Well, I just announced uh, the live event on March 26th, and boy, are things filling up already. Rebecca, how many have signed up already? Um, zero. Okay, well, we've one, got some work one, to do. There. There. I signed up. <laughs> that was quite a teaser, Jim. That was quite a teaser. Yeah. I thought things were going more robustly than that. But, uh, it's because you were saying you're barely going to be interested in even showing up. <laughs> no, no, you're going to send your son double. Yeah. No, I'm going to be there. I'm absolutely going to be there. So I'm bringing my own water bottle, too, just so you know. All right. Um, <laughs> March 26th, Thursday night, uh, live uh, recording of the show. It'll air sometime later, but you can be part of it, and it's be called Living in a Post-Christian World. Dr. Jim Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner will be my guests. It's going to be a blast. All right, speaking of that, how have we gotten to the point where we live in a time that tells us that the highest priority is to be who you are? <laughs> well, I think... Um... Something that comes to my mind, too, is I think it's the way that we have uh, detached ourselves from a true biblical view of who God is. I think in order to truly understand our identity in who we are, um, that stems from one's theology. And everyone has everyone has a theology. Everyone has a view of ultimate reality, a view of God. And um, there's a, uh, a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith that has identified this idea that we have a generation that has... Uh, views God, um, he's, he calls it moralistic therapeutic deism. Wow. So that idea is that we have a God who wants us to be good, um, moralistic part, uh, therapeutic. He's kind of there when when we need, if some things go bad, and he can kind of come in and help us live our life. And then deism, basically he's detached, though. He's not really that interested. Mm. And so, um, and really it, that, that creates a me-centered uh, worldview uh, by which we're we're viewing God as detached from that and only swoops in to help us whenever we need help. When the Christian witness inverts completely inverts that, um, and that that Christ is central, and uh, and we, we it's not a focus so much on me being who I am, but it's it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, and that showing itself out in in the unique way that God has made and created and really is recreating us. So I think it's been this drift from. Um, from a true uh, perspective of, of what the Bible says and reveals to be true about God. You know, I think that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. I, 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 I think, I think, especially the Christian Smith, I think the therapeutic piece that we just, it, it's all about me and it's all about myself. And, you know, you got to find yourself. Actually, biblical understanding is a lot more about losing yourself. Yeah, you really find is. yourself when you lose yourself. Right. Those that grab for power are those that are going to get crushed by the own power they're trying to to get a hold of. You know, blessed are the meek, right? I I, I coached actually football with a guy, uh, not a Christian, who you know, he used to because they knew I was a Christian and I was in, actually in seminary at the time. He used to love kind of poking fun. He'll say, the meek will inherit the earth, but only after the strong have secured it. <laughs> wow. Would that be adding to scripture? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I think that would be, yeah. But again, it's this, this mindset of using the, pulling the leverage, levers of power uh, in the society 
for your purposes and what do you do and what can you gain and the Christian picture uh, is just has never been that. And so it doesn't share the individualism of that American worldview. Uh, it has a far more corporate mindset, and it doesn't share the me-firstness mm-hmm. of the American worldview. And the, the notion of agape love uh, is that, that pervades Scripture, that is, the, that is the motivation for everything from why God created to why God sent his Son to um, then why we are called to respond to Jesus Christ and then how we're to live, uh, that that is a mindset that's largely foreign to the American worldview. So Christians, yeah, have a radically different perspective there um, and and one that I think stands up pretty well. Like you look mm. at it, I think people do kind of get sick of this me-firstness, um, and uh, I think that this preaches pretty well, in fact. It does. You know, when you're talking, Jim, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, are we raising our kids Mm. with sort of these conflicting messages and maybe we're not even aware of them that on one level, if you're raising your kid in a Christian home and in part of their life, you are saying, hey, you need to develop and become and become whoever you want to be and build your resume and it's all about you. And then we take them to church on Sunday morning and the message of the kingdom is all about, well, if you want to find the fullness of your life, you actually have to lose it. And and Mm -hmm. I mean, these are even some of the conflicting messages, I would say, that when we buy into the cultural values of the day and adopt them as the church, we end up in these conflicting, confusing messages for our kids where there really is only one pathway in the kingdom. You want to find a sense of peace of the soul? Be prepared to lose your whole life on behalf of it. That's so different than building the resume. And I keep thinking, how would you as a parent, starting with kids that are age two, three, four, five, six, how do you raise them in this sort of counterintuitive kingdom mentality that can't come alongside American value? It can't come alongside that value. These are very conflicting values. You almost have to give up one on behalf of the other. But we, I think we try to do both. And maybe that's why our kids sometimes are confused about, why is this kingdom thing not working for me? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you're working with two different sets of values. Yeah, and you're trying to, yeah, you're trying to combine that in a way yeah. they can't be combined. Right. You're, um, and actually a lot of times what we're doing is you're really just taking the worldly values and the combination is not much more than putting a Christian veneer yeah. on what the world already has said is is true and what's beneficial. And, you know, of course, it's really about money and it's about status and it's about all these things. And so the Christian perspective is just wildly different. But it's also different because then you don't want to slip into this. Uh, I'm so great because I'm suffering, right. you know, sort of right. thing. And and look at me, I'm poor. Aren't I happy? No, there has to be this notion of that we were created for something really, really great. But in the, when the world gets to define what great is, that that's when we get off, you know. So we were created for happiness and we were created for joy, but it's not down the path that the world is showing mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And so it. it we're not going to improve our standing by just talking about how terrible Christianity is, right? We need to just redefine the terms of the discussion. Yeah. Do we not discover in the world today that there's more people that make the aspects of their fallen nature their primary identity? Mm. I mean, God, Justin, when you started by saying, you know, God, we have to let God be our identity. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, we, we sometimes look at the lens at which we project how we want to sell or show the world ourselves that maybe it's our sexual identity or our, our relationship status or any other number of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bill, you had mentioned, I think last week that you're working on memorizing Ephesians one, uh-huh. right? And I, and I love how Paul starts out and he says to the saints, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Ephesus and our faithful in Christ Jesus. And so 
and I and I love the that that picture of 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 saintness that we're literally holy ones called set apart for a purpose. And um, really, the book of Ephesians is all all about our identity in Christ. Paul uses that phrase in Him or in Christ sixty times, um, upwards of sixty times in that letter alone. And so, I, and I think we. we we tend to have this idea of Christ, of Christ in me, and that is important, inviting Jesus into my heart. And, and the Bible uh, actually only speaks, um, speaks of Christ in us, I think it's only five or six times, but it's upwards of 300 times that Paul talks about us being in Christ. And so really, I think we need to, it does go back to our theology, how big is our God? And we are in him uh, and then we that's where losing ourselves comes to the reality. And then Jesus comes, you know, again, this inverted pictured uh, upside down kingdom that he that he inaugurated at, at his incarnation, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. And so um, I think we're grasping, though, for um, all these different identifiers of, of how um, they give us value, give us purpose, give us worth. And and ultimately, we 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 can't look inward first. We need to look upward. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, you know, <clears throat> identity is one of those things. The reason I think why we so desire to name whatever identity is is then <clears throat> we know to the people to whom we belong. And so once you say I'm this identity, then you can sort of like social media yourself into a bunch of different groups that share the same sort of identity. So I think there is a real draw to create substitutionary identities because then you simply know your people, mm-hmm. however false that may be. Yeah, and in addition to that, we tend to try to view our identity as purely individualistic. Yeah, for we sure. We really don't have an identity in Christ apart from our connection to the body of Christ. So part of our, what of our identity in Christ means isn't just who I am in Christ, it's who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think it's important to acknowledge that, uh, you know, sure, you can have your identity in something that's sinful. You know, I have a, you know, I, I say this is my sexual identity or I, this is my identity. I, I, I get to do this sin or whatever else. But this could be problematic in for religious reasons as well. Like suppose I say to God, God, I'm a theologian. <laughs> that means you need to engage me as such and you need to guarantee that I have this job or that job as a theologian. That it, Well, anytime we approach God with those sort of conditions, yeah. God, if you're going to be in relationship with me, this needs to be the case. That's going to be a problem. So if we find our identity in anything other than Christ or anything other than in the relationships that Christ has ordained, we're going to be down a bad path, even if those things that we're finding our identity in are not themselves intrinsically bad things, mm-hmm. right? So um, the, the important thing here is, is God first and the individualism that we, again, have learned from our American story that individualism is not intrinsically evil. Right. I get it, right? There's some good things, some individual rights that come with that conversation. But the individualism we've heard, learned from the American story has caused us to misunderstand really important parts of the biblical story and therefore what we're, how we're supposed to live in this world. Mm-hmm. Right. Guide Talk is underway. Let us know what questions you might have for the panel. 877-93-FAITH. Dr. Jim Bilby, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Justin Jepson is the power panel. And if you... Uh, have just stepped into your car. We're going to have a live event on March 26th. It's a Thursday night, start at 7 p.m. It's going to be a, a live uh, taping of the show, Afternoons with Me. Jim and Peter will be my guests. We're going to talk about life in a post-Christian world. Bring your questions. It's going to be a very lively night. We'll take a short break. Be right back.
Back to the show. So glad the guy talk is happening today. Ladies are in later. But for now, Peter Kapsner, Jim Bilby, Justin Jepson is the power panel. Questions are welcome. 877-93-FAITH. 877-933-2484. Here's a question, gentlemen. How do we read the Psalms when it talks about asking God to destroy enemies? I know we are called to love our enemies. How should we approach this? Wow, you're, don't point at me, Jim. You're the theologian. I know you got the first point out there, but <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we were actually talking a little bit about it in one of my classes today. Just that um, God's long-suffering patience doesn't uh, always last forever, and when He tends to move against uh, enemies is after a long period of time. It's sort of always the last move that God has, and 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 it's when there isn't any hope at that point, and and sort of God only knows that time where they're not going to repent or turn or whatever it is. And so when you, when you look at the story of, of Noah's flood, <clears throat> it says that the, the people's hearts were inclined towards evil all the time. And in those moments, in disappointment and grief and in sorrow, God will then move people aside. And, and I think um, there's an understandable request from the psalmist to do that sometimes to the enemies. But I, I think, oof, I, you know, Jim, I don't know what you think about that, but the idea that we should pray for that... Uh, I understand the lament of it, but just because there's lament doesn't mean it's a, a prescription for a way of life. No. I think it's an understandable reality of the human condition, yeah. but but to move in those places, now you're heading into some places that yeah. I think where you're playing God, and it's not a great idea. So I do think it's really important that we engage the genre of these passages. Right. And so these these psalms, I don't want to say this like, you know, this sounds a little flippant, but a lot of psalms, uh, I can imagine the Holy Spirit kind of going... Uh, psalmist, just vent. Yeah, mm-hmm. just sh- you know, d- you know, back up the dump truck and just unload your soul and and talk about where you're, where, what you're struggling with and what you're in- what you're doing. So many, such a high percentage of the psalms are lament psalms, mm-hmm. and so that in in that frustration, in that moment, that you're like, God, I, I wish you would destroy your enemies and you know banish them from the face of the earth. And there's all these, there's all this sort of language. But then there is usually at the end of the, of the psalm, there's something like, but I know that you are yep. wise and I exactly. know that you are loving. I know that you are long suffering. I know that your plan is the best. And there's, you know, there's this acknowledgement. So um, what I think this tells us is it, it's really understandable when we, you know, come into situations and we want God to just zap, you know, <laughs> get rid of these people and to take out these people that that we see as being God's enemies. Um, but I think the v- passage that I just keep coming back to again and again is the Ephesians six twelve passage mm-hmm. that our enemy is not flesh against and flesh and blood. So mm-hmm. when we, we are thinking, identifying God's enemies, we want to like think, well, this person or that person or this political party or this organization, but that is not, those are not God's primary enemies. Our battle is not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers, of this present evil age and all, and all that. Right. So, um, that's where I go with this language that it's really understandable. And in a certain sense that God is inviting the psalmist to do this venting, to acknowledge the frustration and the pain and that, you know what, we're free to do that. You right. know, we have, we have freedom. God gives us freedom, draws us into that. But then there's also an invitation to a broader perspective 
that in our pain and suffering, we may not have for a while. Mm. Right. So Mm. that to me, that's where I would go with some of these passages. Yeah. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I love the Psalms. While certain, you know, imprecatory Psalms are called, can be really troubling. And how do we how do we model that? And I, I you know, I even wonder what did these Psalms sound like? You know, like did they throw some distortion on the harps and the lyre? And they're like the screamo version. You know, like <laughs> right. it sounds angry, but um, but I love that it it's inviting this ruthless honesty. That I think if we're if we're honest with ourselves, we feel that anger. You know, uh, towards you know when there's those whom we love are hurt or are 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 receiving acts of injustice, and and you look at the wickedness of this world. So in another, in some ways, it's modeling um, the wrath of the just wrath of God upon the wickedness in this world. Now, His wrath is always righteous; ours is not. But in order, I think, to get us into agreement with God, so that we're actually we have a righteous indignation and share that with Him, we need to have the courage to get out on the outside what's on the inside and. The Psalms lead us, and how do we do that? Is in, is in prayer. So I love the, just the honest and sincere relevancy that that we are met with in the Psalms because it's 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 a lament in the next one, and then it's a wisdom Psalm, and then it's a praise Psalm, and then we're back to lament, and it just mm. it models the dynamic unpredictability of life, and that's one of the reasons why I love God's top hundred and fifty list. That's what I, <laughs> but no, it, and what I pre- it, just that ruthless honesty that you mentioned, like think of the familiarity you'd have to have with God to be able to say these things with God. What kind of prayer life, what kind of daily life do you have to be able to just sort of be that ruthless? You you must know God on some kind of level and be walking out life with God to be able to say these kinds of things. I think when there's a lack of familiarity, you end up sort of with this formality or you feel like you have to say things in a certain way in your prayer life as opposed to just, hey man, I'm doing my life with God and this is what's coming out of me today. There has to be a trust level. There has to be a vulnerability. What does that say about your relationship with God to be able to say these kinds of things in the Psalms? Mm -hmm. And I think it's crucial, again, this notion of freedom, that God does invite us to this. So as as we think about this, sometimes we have this notion that, that, you know, if there's anything that's negative, you know, people are saying have questions about the faith or they're like having, they're voicing doubts or they're voicing anger at God, that we need to squelch this. And I just think that that's counterproductive. Um, I listen to some music that's not remotely Christian <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, the singer for U2 called Bo- uh, Bono, Bono, yeah. he, he has, uh, he, he has a statement on this that I think is just brilliant. He says, the music that's always interested me is either the music's running toward God or running away from God. Mm-hmm. Because both realize that God is the center of the question. Yeah, that's a great so one. I think there's some great real statement. authenticity in, uh, you know, people just, I, God, I don't get it. Mm. And the psalm is sort of a, a version of that in certain places, a mm-hmm. faithful lament. It's out of the context of faith, right? But when we acknowledge that there's that pain and suffering there, I think that that's a really important part for us to enter into relationship with people in ways where they feel heard and they feel like we can come alongside them. So uh, I don't think we should squelch this. I think this is a this these, this notion of a faithful lament is mm-hmm. a really powerful thing mm-hmm. in in the in the world we live in. I remember being a sophomore in college here at Northwestern, and I was grieving uh, the loss of a friend of mine who I went to youth group with, who died in a car mm. accident. And I'm trying to make sense of this, and I felt mad at God. Yeah, but I feel like I couldn't say it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh, I, I don't, but then, you know, then right, well, he already knows my thoughts. He knows what's <laughs> in me anyways. And I remember sitting out by the lake and I remember throwing my hands up in the air and I yelled, I said, God, I am mad at you. I'm like, and I just like ripped, you know, I just let it out. Right. And I, and I thought at first I stopped and I paused like, oh no, like what's going to happen? Like I literally thought right. like, 
you know, and then it just kept pouring out, kept pouring out. I started with my hands, like my fists clenched, my arms raised, just just uh, spewing out anger and frustration. I ended up on my face in yeah. tears yeah. at the end of that time of prayer. And I'll never forget that. I was like, I started, it was the first time I was like, okay, this is what the Psalms are all about. Yeah. There's such powerful, uh, almost cathartic role to that hmm. sort of honesty because who do you, who do we think we're hiding from, <laughs> right? right? Right. We're angry at God and we just bury it down. And God's like, seriously, all you're doing is hurting yourself. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to acknowledge that when, it, you know, I don't mean just run around, you know, you know, swearing at God or something, right? I, that, mm-hmm. that, that's not helpful. But mm-hmm. when there's that authentic emotion there to, to express that, I think it's one of the most helpful things you can do for your faith. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Does God promise earthly blessings? <laughs> We're going to Aunt Bill. That's a great point, Jim. I like that one, Aunt Bill. Um, no. <laughs> well, I, you know, to the extent that God might, um, I think we have to be very clear-headed that anything that he's pointed to and the result of the earth is pointing to something more. It's not with the idea that we're going to squeeze all of sort of our sense of peace out of this world, and therefore God owes us in this world to be happy, that the, the biblical text is always functioning on whatever is happening in the realm of the present is also a part of the realm of the eternal. And so when Jesus heals somebody in the text, he's always careful to say, if I can do this, how much more can I forgive sins? And, and this idea that he's bringing wholeness everywhere he goes. But I, does God bestow earthly blessings? Yes, but it is pointing to something bigger on behalf of his kingdom. No, so notice those are different questions. They so very does, much does God bestow earthly blessings? Of course he does on some people where he chooses to do that. Right. But does God promise, like, by virtue of being a Christian, therefore you are guaranteed to yeah. have earthly blessings, is absolutely 100% false. It's that transactional relationship that we think we're in with God. If I do X, mm-hmm. God should do Y, because that's the way this works. I'm rich, mm-hmm. so God must love me. That's exactly right. Or I'm poor, so God must hate me, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And first, that doesn't fit. With You, you have to go Thomas Jefferson on large chunks of Scripture to, <laughs> to come up with that picture. <laughs> You have to just ignore large chunks of scripture. And what's more, it creates that mindset of that transactional, I'm doing the Christianity thing so I can receive that. And I don't know anything more toxic. This is our modern day Gnosticism. It really is. So in the ancient world, Gnosticism was basically trying to take this, some Christian beliefs, and combine it with Greek philosophy. So their big idea, Greek philosophy, you know, of course, the material's evil. So they said then Jesus could not have this material body, couldn't have been really human like us. And that's just taking the philosophy of the day and slipping some Christianity into it. That's what the, you know, so what sometimes called the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel is. It's our modern day Gnosticism because we're taking our materialistic philosophy and then dropping, you know, some Christian, Christian concepts into it. And frankly, I can't, I can't imagine anything that's more contrary to the gospel. Now, this does not mean in any shape or form that God does not want to bless you, does not want to heal, does not want to bring you to a place of shalom and peace and happiness. But oftentimes the things that we think will bring us happiness and peace and joy, these earthly things, that's not what he's interested in. Well, you have to for sure condition whatever your idea of blessing is and hashtag blessed. You have to come alongside of Matthew 5 and say, so what does God mean? And and what what is Jesus saying when he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for your faith? Mm -hmm. Blessed are those when, you know, what does that even mean? Because that would be completely counterintuitive to what we see as being blessed. Blessed are you when you've come to the end of your rope because then the kingdom of heaven unfolds for you. Blessed are you when you mourn. All of these different things, we really, mm-hmm. when we just slap American ideas onto our faith, we end up in these sort of 
mm-hmm. counterintuitive ideas about what constitutes mm-hmm. blessing. And, and I think alongside of that, it, the um, scripture that popped in my mind was First, first Timothy 4, talks about for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for also for the life to come. Mm. So that idea, so what's what's the promised value of godliness in the here and now? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean a monetary wealth, right? a material possession. There's more than one way to be wealthy. We, I mean, we can be materially wealthy, but relationally poor. And I think, I think what part of what's promised there is our connection as identity, our identity as ones who are in Christ in connection with the body of Christ. We actually do have the promise of, of relational wealth, even though we may have, we might be materially poor. No. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that, that idea that there is that training, but it is also in view of eternity for uh, the life to come. Also keep in mind that if we have this notion that uh, material wealth and health and, you know, those sorts of worldly happiness, um, that that's what's really necessary to be truly Christian, you have a hard time finding a truly happy Christian in the first, third, first three and a half centuries. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Right, which just seems silly, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, we'll take a little break. Just let you know, on March 26th, Thursday night, there's going to be a live taping of the show. It's going to be right here at the University of Northwestern in the beautiful downtown or uh, downstairs media room. And we've got uh, room for about 75 or 80 people. We will pack it in and we will uh, get the, the fire marshal all nervous. But go to the website, myfaithradio.com, and sign up. You're going to want to get your name on the list to come. It's going to be Dr. Jim Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner. We're going to be talking about uh, Christianity and faith in a modern world. Where is it all gone? That's going to be the topic. We're going to talk about lots of stuff, bring lots of questions. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we've got time for a few more questions. 877-93-FAITH. Be right back. talks underway. Why is it so hard to believe we have been made new? Hmm. Well, I think it's tricky when you live in a fallen world, isn't it? I mean, that's that's too cliche sort of thing. But we're, we're you know, if I could just live a day in heaven, like I think about what Paul says, where he says, you know, I'll stick around with you guys for a while. It's actually better for me to be in heaven, but I'll hang out with you here a bit at this moment. I think we underestimate how hard this world actually is. And, and so... Um, we struggle. It's Jim, it's what you said earlier. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but there are principalities and powers. There's no question who has the governance of this world right now. And it's a broken place. And we still experience the byproduct of that. We are incorruptible bodies. We are in failing bodies still. So the daily experience, even having a physical malady of some kind, sort of reveals the the shortcomings that we have that then I, I think when we still struggle with sin and all of these different things, it's really hard. And And, and I think it's one thing to say we've been made new. It's another thing to say there's a new power at work in our lives that is making us new. Mm. And, and I think when we go into that place, it, it helps us frame this discussion a lot differently. Yeah, when Scripture speaks about salvation, we want to kind of front load all of the language of salvation. <laughs> That's a great like, way to say it. it is, so we're saved, so it's all done, and it's all now. But when Scripture speaks about salvation, there's the three tenses, right? Mm-hmm. There's the, we have been saved. But when it talks about we have been saved, it's a lot of times what Jesus has done yes. mm-hmm. to accomplish our salvations. We are being saved, and we will be saved. Mm-hmm. It's far more often to use the 
those latter two, the we are being and we will be saved. Um, so the, the there's an inherent tension, like even the kingdom of God. Is the kingdom of God here? Right. Well, yes, because Jesus has died and Jesus has made possible our salvation and Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross and there's there's all this language. But are we f- fully experiencing this? No, Satan is still a lion roaming around seeking for whom we may devour, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this, and, and theologians call this the now-not-yet tension that's in the New Testament. So I, I liken it, when I teach this idea, I liken it to the notion of the difference between D-Day and V-Day in World War II. D-Day basically ended World War II from when when the Allies dumped a million men, you know, in the first week after, you know, so Normandy, for those of you who don't like history, saving Private Ryan, right? Mm-hmm. So when they dumped all those men into into there, the war was functionally over. It, the Germans couldn't sustain that. But if the 11 months from D-Day to V-Day, millions and millions and millions and millions Great of people example. died. So we are caught in that time where the victory has been won, Christ on the cross, but we have not fully seen the fruits of that, mm-hmm. right? So it there. that's why I think it's hard for us to fully see that we are um, that we are made new. Plus, we try to get made new. We Again, we want to front load all that, and so right. we misunderstand what is meant by that. But uh, I, I, I think it's understandable to wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think part of that comes to just being honest with what's going on inside of us. I mean, back to the Psalms, I mean— we need to admit every day that I'm, I am a mess, <laughs> but I'm Jesus's mess and he is faithful to see through to completion the work that he has begun in me. So that idea of we need to give ourselves, well, not give ourselves, we need to receive the grace that God gives us each day to know that we're works in progress. Yeah. And when you say give ourselves that grace, it's, we need to, so we receive give the it, grace and then give it but to then others. We need to acknowledge it. Yeah. We need yes. to say, you yeah. know what? I have received grace, yep. and and you know when we don't have our own righteousness right now. It's mm-hmm. when the best thing we can say when when we go to heaven, and and if God asks us why should we be here, the only thing we can say is not like, well, I'm so spectacular, or I did this, or I started this church, or I did this Bible study. We can say is I'm with Him and mm-hmm. point to Jesus, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so. I think to the degree we start trying to do this on our own, we also get really confused over how can we be possibly new because, like you say, we are such a mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jim, uh, Bill, he's, he's thumbing through his Bible over there. I he's about ready to bring a new one. Uh, that's pretty awesome. awesome. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> we can get the host to read the Bible. I know. And, I know. It's very sort of feel like right we're now. closer to the kingdom. We're right. going to do right now. Right. <laughs> Enough of that. Being made noodle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he yeah. is. Back off, college boys. All right. <laughs> it says in First Peter one sixteen, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." There doesn't seem like there's a lot of wiggle room there. Yeah, but I think I mean it's it's the process of right. I think that's what God called us to do. But and I think I can hear that like a hammer. Like you better be holy because I'm holy. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Jim, I think what you were just saying and Justin too that I I'm inviting you to this set apart status where my power can be at work in you to accomplish the work of salvation that I've already begun in you. That that would be a different way of just this hammer of hey man I've got it all together in heaven and you better too on earth. And I think that's how we understand those passages too too often. We're not obviously that passage isn't saying we can have God's God's holiness, right? Right. By definition, we're never going to be as morally perfect, as set apart, as pure as God. So we're we're not going to in heaven going to be like God's moral peers, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what that is is that we can be set apart from sin as God is set yes. apart from sin if we 
are on this journey, this path, and if we continue to walk this. Indeed. Well, I think that's why Paul addresses in all of his letters this, to the saints. Mm-hmm. And he does that in, in to his letters of the Corinthians. And we know anything about the Corinthians. I mean, it was, it was Christi- you know, Christians gone wild. Yeah, I mean, they, they were a hot mess. Yes, they were. That gives us so much hope because he was calling out who they already are in Christ so that they can live live that out and that can become an ever-increasing reality in mm-hmm. their life. So yeah. I think to say, be holy as I am holy is basically live according in a manner according, that's worthy according to the manner that you've received as ones who have been called apart, called out, set apart, redeemed, made new, being made new uh, for a purpose. Now, coming up on March 26th, and I want you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and make sure you sign up to be here that night, 7 o'clock start time. We're going to meet here at the University of Northwestern right here in the Mel Johnson uh, Media Room on the first floor here where we, uh, we broadcast and we're going to have a great evening with uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and Dr. Jim Bilby, two of my guests who are here in the studio. Justin Jepson is here as well. And we're going to answer questions uh, probably like this one. How about this, gentlemen? Christianity uh, has been kind of a whipping post for secular humanists, and their criticisms, criticisms require answers. They do. I mean, Jim, I'd be curious your thoughts on some of this too, but uh, I think we underestimate how much secular humanism really sort of is the vibe of the day. And and Jim, I mean, how would you even define that? If somebody was like, what are you even talking about with secular humanism? But what what would we, how would we come around that from a definition standpoint? I mean, if if you consider secular humanism as the worldview of the day, it's that we're fine all on ourselves and that whatever makes, you know, contributes to human flourishing is fine. We don't need God to do this. Right. Right, a, a rejection of of any notion of God that is necessary to human flourishing, um, and you're exactly right. There, there's there's real objections out there, um, but what I I what they what secular humans are objecting to when I listen to them, when I'm in conversations with them, they're not objecting to God. They're objecting to Christians. And here's the deal: some of their objections, I just agree with them. Mm. Right, some of, we Christians have given secular humans far too much data. We haven't been loving. We haven't been what we said that we we're going to be. Uh, Gandhi's famous saying, you know, you know, hey, we all love your Jesus. It's Christians that we have a, tr- a problem, mm. problem with. Uh, so often, I think, what, what secular humanists are objecting to is not the Christian God, but how we have modeled this. And you're right. Those need responses. We need to have, be thoughtful in how we respond. Uh, we respond. Scripture says that you know we we uh, need need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have in ourselves. But it also says we're supposed to love our Lord God, heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbors ourselves. And so many of these problems would be significantly addressed if we actually figured out how to love people and really did that in an honest, forthright, organic way. So uh, that, I mean, that that's my take. And there's a lot more to say there, but I think that's important. Yeah, but I, I was in this room that I was in last night with all these young people, and they were asking questions around sexuality. That, and it really had a secular humanistic perspective. It was the idea that the reason why they wanted to find a sexual letter to speak of, whether it's L or G or B or T or Q or whatever, it really is that there's this belief that you can make a way for yourself. You can find yourself. You can find your sense of peace in the realities of this world. And uh, and, and there hadn't been a lot of alternative teaching. I was making the statement last night that it's not that we haven't had 
are teachers of sexuality in our culture. Our teachers tend to be Netflix and the schools and the locker room conversations and, and TikTok on our phone and these different things. And it is teaching that you can find your sense of self if you can just find the right letter uh, in your sexuality, if you can just find the right job or whatever, but it cuts God out of the equation. And so to your point, Jim, if Christians have disqualified themselves at times just simply by the way we've treated other people, there really is an out-loving, out-living kind of thing that I think we're going to be invited into in the generations to come as we are moving into more of a secularized society. Yeah, crucial. And I would say I think the reason why there's that disconnect of Christians not representing well Jesus to the world is because we really don't know who we are. Yeah, indeed. I mean, we define ourselves more by our theologies, our denomination, our different experiences are not, you know, and we really need to recover that that true biblical sense of identity in order to truly and humbly and authentically model Christ to the world so that they see, they see, truly see Christ in us. Pastor Sauer in radio. We're We're already done. Yeah. Nice job, guys. Good to be here. As always. Yeah. Yeah. With Jim Bilby and and Peter Kapsner here in studio, uh, I want to just remind everyone, if you're just tuning in, we're going to have a live event. Thursday, March 26th, 7 p.m. right here at the University of Northwestern. And we would love for you to go to the website and sign up to be part of that live event. You're going to have a blast. We're going to talk, be talking about uh, Christian or li- life in a post-Christian world. There you there. go. <laughs> spit that out with as I'm watching the clock here. And bring your questions. We're going to have a present, short presentation by Jim and Peter, and then we're going to open up for lots of Q&A. It's going to be a great night. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, the amazing and beautiful queens of the round table are up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.